Welcome to Entitled Town, everybody. On today's ET, we have, have of course, Patrick Scartelli of the15net.com. He's going to join Brother John Irons and I with a guest who has followed the closely as a fan with a background in sports media and someone that I've been looking forward to talking to. Let's do this. We're going to be positive every day. You're the people being negative, even some of the fans. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yosemite booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. <laughs> Welcome back to Entitled Town, everybody. It is the only podcast in America that combines the talents of Rick Patino and Al. Um, I've been looking forward to this one. I know uh, Scarzi and John have as well. Uh, Dan Staley is with us. Dan is an expat of Bruce Allen's Boston Sports Media Wasp message board, like Scarzi and I. And uh, he's got some good theories, uh, good insight, and we wanted to have him on. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me along, guys. Let me just oh, no. uh, pull my chair up to this row you have all facing in the same direction. We, we have, there has been a row of chairs in your past, as that is. I'm sure we've all read this stuff uh, previously. Um, Cam Newton was in the news over the weekend, both for a, a football camp he was at, but I want to focus a little bit on, um, he was on the I Am An Athlete podcast, and he had a couple of items, a lot of it was... Uh, kind of interesting to guys who follow the Patriots like the three of us do. Um, he had a quote that there were times last year, uh, I knew I was about to get pulled. I'm a realist. Dan, the listeners are very, very familiar with how John and Patrick uh, and I feel about Cam Newton. Uh, briefly give us, uh, you know, you and I were charter members of the Blue, uh, the Drew Bledsoe Defamation Society. And I get some really bad flashbacks this past year from Cam, but enough about me. Um, briefly on camp oh that's it right there uh the the the, the blood so flashbacks the the footwork just drives me crazy uh i was on board for a little bit you know, thought i thought there might be a flash with that seattle game but um i think he said something recently saying that covid uh he had had covid put him back a couple weeks in a in a 20 uh something like a 20 year season um and so I'm wondering, does can is it some does COVID get you throwing to to the knees of uh, Nikhil Harry? It could, does COVID cause you to miss open receivers? Is more to the point. But yep. there's just a, a jarring lack of oh, just general awareness. You can only the ability to throw the ball only even passably well in one direction. That's neither here nor there. The quote was actually the two weeks he was out with COVID did put him behind. Uh, in a 20-year system. Uh, John, you listened to the, the Newton podcast with Fred Taylor and Brandon Marshall and Chad, Jack, uh, Chad Johnson. What were your impressions? Yeah, I listened to the whole thing, 97 minutes. And uh, I have to say, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was a, an outstanding conversation. Those guys, the first time I'd ever listened to their podcast, I thought it was, um, Honestly, it's kind of a role model-ish sort of conversation for what we're trying to do. Very conversational, very, you know, amicable, um, a lot of respect among the guys in the room. 
uh, you know, to Dan's points on what, what Newton said, you know, he talked about, he was pretty honest and open about it. You know, the guys in the room were giving him a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the business on how he played and, and all that. They weren't, they weren't, you know, soft selling it too much. And he said COVID made him stagnant for two weeks. Uh, he, he, you know, he was struggling pre-snap. He had pre-snap discomfort. He was thinking too much. The complexity of the offense was something he struggled with. I had pre-snap um, discomfort too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think there really is like, it, it, I guess it just depends on, and by the way, you can come out of that podcast and this is where I, I think I stand. I have tremendous amount of respect for Cam Newton as a person, uh, for what he's accomplished, his resume. I think all of it is great. I think he's tough. You know, I, there's Bill Belichick vouches for him, which goes a long way for me as far as his, you know, kind of his leadership in the, in the clubhouse and the, the way the guys on the team seem to rally around him. You know, all those things. I'm, I'm pro Cam Newton, but like Dan said, you have to you have to take all that and then believe the guy can complete passes. That he's not going to throw the ball at, at receivers' feet. He's not going to miss wide open Nikhil Nikhil Harry's. And you know maybe if if you take a leap of faith, you know reasonable people I think can disagree with a full off season and a full year in that system. Newton can be better, but you can still kind of agree that that's not enough to get this team where it needs to go. Right? I mean I think. You, you can have a kind of a reasonable conversation in those spaces. Uh, I came away from that podcast, though, you know, still liking Cam Newton. I mean, I like Cam Newton. I think he's a tough dude, and I think he's a, he's a good kind of a guy on the team. I just don't think I want him playing quarterback for the Patriots this season, right? I mean, I, I think that's, that's kind of where I land on it. Gartelli. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've, caught, uh, I've caught the snippets. I haven't did, listened to the whole thing. I, I thought it would be great if they did uh, if they did have Chad Jackson on, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, <laughs> but geez, you know, it's it's there, there's no two ways about it. The guy has charisma, charisma. He's charming, but uh, charm can be a way of getting what you want. And if what he wants is you know another shot with New England, he's this is part of a uh, charm offensive maybe. Yeah, the skeptic in me agrees with these Scarzi. I kind of thought it was at first, and I did. I didn't listen to the whole thing like John did, but I got the impression it was a bit. I mean, free agency starts in uh, a little more than about three weeks, roughly, give or take. Kind of way of getting his name out there, some some uh, positive press, positive discussion, that sort of thing. And I just think it's it's kind of what do you call preemptive damage control? I call it a PR campaign. No. Kind of get ahead of the message. Look, look, I'm, I'm happy to be the least cynical person on this podcast among the, the four of us, right? That's not, I'm not normally in that role, but if I have to be the least cynical person, I will be. I will say this, and, and I don't think this is cynical. He was more interested in pitching his hat line at the end of the podcast that he did with those guys. He was more interested in pitching his hat line than he was in kind of an impassioned plea to come back to the Patriots. So I don't think, I don't think it's a charm offensive for his free agency as much as his aspiring uh, you know, hat salesman and his entrepreneurship, you know, kind of work that he, he he spent the last 15 or 20 minutes talking about that. The quarterback situation is definitely still in flux. Um, I think the overarching narrative is, okay, Cam, okay, fine. Uh, we're all in agreement there. But it is, as Dan said, it's a row of chairs regarding having Newton back. <laughs> I think there's a larger point 
and we've started discussing this a little bit. Dan, you espouse a franchise quarterback theory as perhaps being, well, it's never going to go the way of the Dodo bird, but there's, you have a theory that I think is interesting regarding franchise quarterbacks. Sure. Well, at first I thought it, the way I was quoting it was I was saying it, I thought the franchise quarterback era is over, but you can't really sum it up that way. There's always, just like you said, there's always going to be these special, special players. But I, I, I'm now thinking that it all changed uh, when the rookie cap came in in 2011, because prior to that time, when you drafted a, a quarterback in the first round, you were tied. You were married to that quarterback. Daffron, great point. You know, and you could see like the difference between uh, like uh, Sam Bradford in 2010 as the first pick got uh, mm -hmm. six years, 76 million. And then Cam Newton was the very next year. Uh, and it was four years, 22 million. And it was just a huge disparity. Um, I, th I think there's, there's two discussions here, dis discussions here. One is how the, the, uh, the people view when you draft a quarterback, everybody, you draft a quarterback in the first round and the fans all think, oh, there's your, you know, there's your franchise guy. This is the guy that's going to be for the next 10, 15 years. But I think since that rookie caps come into place, the teams, the practice that's in play now is they're treating it as just another, uh, it's a low dollar asset. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if he produces, that's great. And then the decisions has comes in that second contract and it either can work out great for you, or you can have a situation like what's, what's come about with, uh, uh, both the Rams and the Eagles where they had to trade their quarterbacks. Uh, they, they basically got taxed for being able to get rid of exactly. the quarterbacks. No, that's a, that's a great point. I want to go back um, just the last five years of first-round quarterbacks. And there's a delineation, there's a line of demarcation here that's going to be a talking point as we get into new league years starting next month. So these are the first-round quarterbacks going back to the 2015 draft. 2015 draft was Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. The 2016 first-rounders were Jared uh, Goff, Wentz, and then the the non-lamented uh, Paxton Lynch by the Broncos. Great pick there, John. Uh, 17, you had Trubisky and Mahomes and Watson. This one's the outlier, right? Trubisky was overdrafted. Mahomes and Watson are, I think we could all reasonably agree that they would fit the definition of a franchise quarterback. The year after that, you have, this is where the line of demarcation is. These guys have not gotten their second deal yet. You have Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen and Lamar Jackson. Rosen's bounced around like a Super Bowl, so you can throw him out. And then uh, two years ago, you had uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Daniel Jones, and Haskins with Washington. And then last draft, you had Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and uh, Jordan Love with the Packers. And uh, Jalen Hurts was picked high in the second round. So the jury's out on the night for the most part in the 19 and 20 guys. Scarty, that's not a real impressive list overall. And not right, not right yet. Uh, the the, uh, the jury's still out on a bunch of those players right now, and uh, the ones that aren't are, like you say, were the outliers. One of my favorite features of doing a podcast with Dave is is listening to the, just him talk himself into Daniel Jones. That's always been a favorite <laughs> part of, of the podcast for me. Uh, so I'll give a shout out to uh, to Dave Brown there. Uh, jo that list, you know, Goff's gotten to a Super Bowl. Of, okay, I'll, I'll la label him assistant quarterback, but uh, 
John, thoughts on that list and how it relates to the, the upcoming draft with certainly the Patriots in the market for a young player, a quarterback? Yeah, I, th I think Dan's point about the, the rookie salary cap is a, is a really, it's a great point. And even if it took the league a few years to figure it out, probably the best um, bargain in professional sports is a good rookie quarterback on his rookie contract. You know, I mean, the, the Seahawks built a juggernaut around Russell Wilson, you know, discovering him. And in the, the mid rounds, I think it was a, was he a fourth round pick, I believe? Third, third round pick. Third, third round pick. Um, you know, Russell Wilson, probably the best bargain in all of professional sports for a while. And if you hit on even a first round pick, even a number one overall pick on that rookie pay scale, you can build an outstanding team around that player um, while they're still affordable. And then you're exactly right. You've got a, a few year window where the cap is really in your favor. Um, and, you know, once that second contract comes, though, it doesn't matter how great that player is. I mean, they could be tr a transcendent talent. You're a little bit behind the eight ball filling out the rest of the roster. And I think that explains why you see phenomenal talents like Aaron Rodgers uh, go to, you know, one Super Bowl. Right. Hasn't been to a Super Bowl in 10 years. He's he's enormously paid and they have a mm -hmm. hard time putting the depth around him that they need to put around him to have a consistent winner. And, you know, a team like the Chiefs, you know, this is their window. A team like the Bills, you know, Josh Allen uh, being a guy right now. I mean, the Bills are at the at the apex of what they're capable of, I think, from a salary cap perspective on Josh Allen's deal. You know, Josh Allen, even even with some warts, is one of the best bargains in sports on that contract. Once he gets paid and they lose some of that depth that's really made Buffalo very, very competitive, you know, we'll see if he can carry a team uh, that's, that's maybe not as strong top to bottom. And I think it, it, the, the, the last thing I'll say on this is I think what you've seen is teams are willing to roll the dice. So I don't know about overdrafted. You know, Trubisky to me was a, was a talent mistake, you know, assessing him the way he, he was assessed. He shouldn't have gone as early as he did. He probably is still going to go in the first round because teams are going to roll the dice on a talented quarterback because even if you hit with, with above average, you know, you can assemble a really good roster around them because they're such a bargain. It's the economics of, of this decision I find to be about as interesting as the talent part of it. The, the, the media hysteria uh, surrounding the Bills this year, Allen had an excellent year. It was actually an outlier year in terms of his ability to be uh, accurate with the football. And I always felt like he was one play from blowing up, but that's probably just me expecting the worst when it came to Buffalo. But Buffalo not to belabor the point, they are smack probably towards the end of the typical NFL cycle of success where they had a, they had two years where they made the playoffs and they lost playoff games both years. And they made the AFC Championship game this year. And you can already see it happen. The, the first two years they made the playoffs with Allen as their quarterback, they were a very, very sound defensive team who relied on Allen's athleticism. And then they took a step back, a real uh, step back this year, with their defense getting a little bit older and guys making money on that side of the ball. Dan, the franchise, the, the franchise quarterback theory that you have, um, what do you make of the, the list of guys that I mean? And how does that, uh, what does that make you think about how the Belichick and the Patriots move forward in the search for the player at or the position? Well, I'm torn on it. I think it's uh, initially I was thinking you'd kind of stay away from it before I started thinking about the, that rookie cap. Because you, the first thing you do is you see all these players that really haven't uh, delivered for their teams. 
But once you apply the, the rookie cap to that, you're thinking, well, that, that does make a lot of sense. And there's, there's players that are poss possibly draft, make it into that first round uh, or drafted higher than they usually would just so that they can have that control over them. Um, that's the way I want them to go. I want, I want them to kind of double up between uh, a player like Mac Jones uh, plus um, go after somebody like Mariota who's also coming over for pretty low dollars. Yeah, the tax, it's, it's going to be interesting, I think, how we mentioned the deals for, um, for Wentz. I think maybe less for Wentz. The, the return that the Eagles got for Wentz surprised me a little bit. The Goff-Stafford trade, the Rams, the Rams don't value draft picks, and we discussed that on the last podcast nearly as much as some other teams do. But, um, you know, Goff is... Goff is a Lego piece. He's plug and play. And, you know, he'll take a beating in Detroit next year for, for a football team that's going to be pretty bad. Honestly, they would – I'm surprised they haven't thought about shopping him or maybe they'll do that after the draft. Scott, do you have any any opinions on, you know, any, are you strong about anyone? I mean, I know we discussed Mariota last time. I, I assume you want them to cover their bases both with a, a rookie and with a veteran. I think that's uh, – uh... That's a prudent, uh, prudent course to take with this. Um, it's, uh, we're not, uh, we're not sure how many uh, weddings Stidzy plans on going to this uh, this fall. So that's Instagram influencer Jared Stidham. <sighs> I mean, yeah, facepalm. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but uh, these kids I, today, I, I, I want, I want to see him trying hard to be the starter is what I'd like, but I'm not seeing that as of yet. And granted the, you know, we haven't gotten into the, uh, the, the NFL year yet, I guess, <laughs> but, but for crying out loud, stop it with the cuddle and bubble nonsense. <laughs> Get yourself on to a practice field. Please, for the love of God, we want somebody who can throw a forward pass. This, this offseason reminds me a lot. Uh, I think there are parallels to be made between this offseason um, with the Patriots coming off going 5-11 and 11 in Belichick's first year um, uh, with the Patriots. They have a ton of salary cap space this year, a lot more, frankly, than they did going into the 2001 season. Nobody is better at building depth than a middle class than Belichick is, and to the points that we've, you know, kind of are all hitting on, they have a chance to add a quarterback potentially at a lower salary, be it a veteran or on a, a rookie-scale salary. John, um, do you buy my comparison to the 2001 offseason? Yeah, I do. I think it's a great comparison. And the, like you said, the ability to build depth, the way this organization has done it over the years, the way Belichick has kind of accentuated that, um, it's, it's why I kind of just kind of scratch my head about the, you know, the, the mediates that want to see the Patriots making these big splashes right now. I mean, this is Bill Belichick letting the market come to him. It is classic Bill Belichick. It's like, you know, I get the fact that you got to fill, you know, hours of airtime a day with, with make-believe narratives and content. And you want to, you know, get fans outraged about the fact that, you know, you didn't go get him, right? you know, the, the way that they do. But Belichick, there's going to be a lot of talent cut, you know, in the, in the coming weeks by these teams that are up against kind of the salary cap kind of ceiling. And 
Bill Belichick's going to have an opportunity to, to have some of that kind of come to him in a way that fits the system that they run. By the way, I will put in one other plug on that Newton podcast with those other athletes. They talked about the Patriot way and the way all of them had either direct or, or indirect experience with the Patriot way and the way they talked about it, you know, the work ethic, the mental stamina, you know, they kept talking about this concept of mental stamina that you need to be successful in New England. For me, it's not only is Belichick letting the market come to him, he's, he's got to sift through and find guys that fit that culture, right? The, the winning culture and the way that they do things in New England is a huge aspect of this. It's not about assembling a, fran- a fantasy football team here. So I have tremendous faith in Bill Belichick's ability to continue to do this, to build depth uh, with the amount of salary cap room they have. I think we all agree just above average, it doesn't have to be a franchise guy, above average quarterback play gets these guys back in the playoffs this season. Mental stamina is also a phrase used for the Bobos who listen to 98.5 and WEI all day, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dan, your, pre- your preference, if you, if you had one guy you could put under center for week one in the fall, who would it be? Actually, I want to go back on something John just said because you were up for the 2001 season. Um, I know that you're reading the, the or you finished the dynasty, yeah. Mike, and I'm still in the process of reading it. And, and coming to that 2001 season, I'd completely forgotten about how they'd picked up like 15 guys for the price it would have uh, cost to keep Chad Eaton. Oh, and, wow. And, <laughs> yeah. And that's the, uh, that's the thing that made me really uh, appreciate Belichick and, and the system and the plan and, and, and the process that he had in place. Pfeiffer and Vrabel alone, never mind the David Pattons of the world, uh, so on and so forth. There's, there's a ton of other names that are um, that, that escape my mind. The other season that I think you could draw parallels to, too, and maybe learn lessons from, was this, uh, the offseason between the 2008 and 2009 season. Uh, and I think this is interesting because, obviously, Brady got hurt week one in 08. And they had a, they were loaded. They were an older team in 2008. They were loaded. Matt Castle played well. You know, John, you referenced. We just need some above average quarterback play. And, you know, Castle certainly had an arm and he was mobile enough where he could make the plays. That, that theory actually went out the window and blew up in their faces a little bit for the 2009 season. Uh, Adelis Thomas was signed before the 07 season. They brought in a lot of guys for 09, the two that come to mind most prominently. Sean Springs and Joey Galloway, and they kind of flamed out spectacularly. And I, Dan, I wonder what they learned from what Belichick learns from that kind of situation. Maybe these older guys don't fit in who are set in their ways. Um, one of the things from that podcast that John has, has referenced is that those guys were really trying to bait Cam into saying mm-hmm. that he didn't have any weapons or talent around him. And Cam kind of sidestepped it in his very Cam way with a very, very fashionable chapeau on. But do you think there are any lessons to be learned? if you take the 2001 and 2009 seasons as, you know, looking at it from 30,000 feet? Well, I think from the 2001, there were a couple different types of free agents. There were guys that he had coming, coming from Cleveland, guys that, or, or, uh, that have played for him both in Cleveland and, and New York. Uh, Institutional knowledge guys, yeah. yeah. Uh, plus guys that were just on the verge, somebody that was unappreciated. David Patton was unappreciated. None of us knew what, what we had in that guy. Um, uh, Vrabel 
is another one, you know, somebody that's right at that second contract who was like, what, 26 years old when he was right. coming, coming there, this former third round pick. And, and then just, you know, you get them just as, as they blossom. And so, you know, in 2009, when you bring in Galloway and, and Springs, you're hoping that they still have some tread left. And so it's a, it's a different, uh, different type of free agent at that point. Uh, but that's not to say that, that you shouldn't go for some of those guys. Some of them do have the tread left. That's that's what they've they found with Pfeiffer. That's what they found with uh, 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 Bobby Hamilton and Anthony Pleasant. Sale. 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 Guys like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, they've had a lot of luck with the with the veteran guys um, bringing them in. Scarcity, um What do you think? What do you, do you think? There's anything left? you know, on the table that we didn't hit before I got to you going fourth here on the McLaughlin group? Oh, uh, just uh, you know, just a whole other uh, parallel to the 2001 season is the fact that we're getting the uh, COVID opt-out guys back. That's yeah. uh, that's like a B12 shot. It's going to be interesting. It may even be entertaining next year. So we shall, we shall see. Yeah, I'm, I, I think it'll be entertaining in large part because a lot of it's going to be new and it's going to be new and it's going to be shiny and hopefully it's going to be better. And it's, it was a slog watching them play a lot last year. I, I've made this point with you guys before, and Dan, I'm curious to see if you'll agree with me on this. Quarterback play was an issue, obviously. I think the, <laughs> the, line, the line, I know Scarty is like, you know, I need a rim shot when I say something <laughs> like that. But the thing that they really was glaring in the latter half of the season was they could not stop anybody on defense up front. They were very light in the front seven. Um, they had safeties playing linebacker for a lot of the year. And I'm always of the opinion that, you know, if your first round pick gets somebody in either, you know, the front seven on defense or on your line. And maybe that's where they, maybe that's where they try to fill things in, Scarcy. They couldn't set an edge to save their no. lives the back half of the year. It was it was horrifying. It was it was a it was an absolute you know horror movie to watch uh, far too much of the time, and so they need to get an edge. And as we all know, when you talk about edge, it's capital E, capital D, capital G, <laughs> capital E edge. That's, that's true. apparently I'll, the thing. That's it. <laughs> edge is not a position, but again, I guess it is the the perfect encapsulation of what you're saying, Patrick. Is that Rams game? was slow death it was it was water torture watching the McVeigh just go off tackle and up the middle and do the short passes because lord knows he's not going to trust jared goff to try to hold the ball more than than three or four seconds um mm -hmm. go ahead dan dan did you have anything you wanted to add to that <laughs> just just agreement to that I don't like those guys. Well, <laughs> listen for for the draft. Certainly, I'm whenever that they're that high. I always want to see what the big bodies they're that they're going to go with. You know, that's that's the time you look for your Richard Seymour. That's the time that you look for the Man. tackles. Fine too. I'd be I'd be fine with uh, some enormous tackle. To yeah, they've taken guys high in the trenches. Of uh, uh, Seymour is obviously the gold standard. For sure. guys in that level, Malcolm Brown was good. They got late in the first round. He didn't play for too long, but he's got a second and a third contract. 
or with the Saints. I, I think there's going to be a lot of, I mean, we have to mentally steal ourselves right now, or at least I'm speaking for myself. I don't want to include your guys in, in, in my insanity, but I'm, we're going to have to mentally steal myself for when the first day free agent opens, people are going to be using memes with <laughs> a, a stick poking something, saying do something during our five of free agency, or if they haven't traded for Deshaun Watson yet, which is, I mean, it's patently absurd considering all the, all the, the quote-unquote holes they have to fill and have to, have to get younger and, and spread depth across the roster. So I'm, I'm just mentally stealing so, myself for that kind of thing. Go ahead, John. Mike, I'll raise, I'll raise your do-something uh, tweets with the, uh, you know, the, the mockery of, of the moves that, of, for guys that nobody's heard of who are the guys that come in and, and make big contributions, Right. I mean, right. how many guys have they made? I think like the Lawrence Guy type moves, right? Who, you know, gets no credit. You know, John people Simon. Market, you know, John Simon's a great. Kyle Van Noy. I mean, the, right. the moves they make uh, for, for the players over the 20 years, I mean, we can just rattle down the list. That, that's the move you're going to start seeing, right? And the, 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 the mediates and, and the tweeters who love them are going to be piling on those moves and those moves are the foundation of that middle class that get them back to the playoffs this season. So, yeah. So brace for both of those things. No, I, I, I think that that is, it's sadly, it's, it's the swallows are turning to Capistrano, right? It's just the, the idiots are going to be flinging their takes as, as it were. And it's maybe it's on me for, you know, the definite, the dictionary definition of ins insanity is expecting something different, but, um, we say this all the time here, um, particularly regarding media, Dan. It's like they've had a front seat for 20 years and they still don't know a goddamn thing. Yeah, I mean, we've had a master class. And, and it is a master class. You see it in different times. You saw, saw it in the Super Bowl where, where they have the big lead. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this isn't going to be like the Falcons. You know that they're going to be smart about this. You know they're going to run the ball and they're going to, you know, turn the screws, and and it's it's going to have all that pressure on on the Chiefs' defense. It's going to have all that pressure on Mahomes. It, they're not going to make the same mistakes that that you see other teams make. No, and it's very it's true. Loads of experience. We've seen it. It bore itself out in the Super Bowl against the Rams. The Patriots. The Patriots wore the Rams out that day. The Rams. The Rams in '53 were a valiant opponent. They just didn't have they didn't have a quarterback to win a game against that type of team who was that good and that disciplined. And you know, Curran made the point, and he's a thousand percent right. Sony Massell's touchdown run that scored the only touchdown of that game. None of the Rams wanted anything to do with tackling him at that point. And I think we just saw it again with happened to your point in the when the Buccaneers Chiefs Super Bowl. Absolutely. It's like history. All right, little cut out there. Uh, John, I wanted to throw it to you. You had, you had a good point and something that we wanted to discuss. Yeah, going back to Dan's franchise quarterback concept, I like it a lot in thinking about it. I want to pose a question to the group here, and, and we'll start with you, Dan. But what would you rather be right now based on your, your, you know, the franchise quarterback concept and recognizing that there, there are certainly some franchise quarterbacks, the transcendent guys like the Mahomes and the, the Rodgers and whatnot, but if you're the Patriots and you really don't know what's behind door number one, I mean, that's a scenario for the Patriots. But would you rather be the Patriots or would you rather be the Browns with a situation with Baker Mayfield coming up on his next 
you know, contract, his league maximum contract, let's say. And the Browns now have to assemble a winning team, uh, taking into account the fact that he's going from that rookie deal to this max level deal. It's a hard thing to do. Do you, would you, would you, where would you rather be, the Patriots or the Browns? Yeah, that's the dilemma right there. Um, and you said it, he's, he's a good player, but he's not a transcendent quarterback. Uh, I think the Patriots, I'd rather be the Patriots in that situation. Um, maybe you try to find the, the team that thinks Mayfield's transcendent and get everything you possibly can. Somebody out there thinks, oh gosh, what are they doing? Why are they passing on this guy? He's transcendent. <laughs> but no, that's it right there. there that's the rub of it, that, that second, second contract every single time. You have to be sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the label franchise quarterback gets thrown out a lot just because you're drafted in the first round and you, and you get that second contract. That doesn't make you, I think that's kind of the, one of the points you're making. That doesn't necessarily make you a quote unquote franchise. It certainly doesn't make you a transcendent player just because you're making major money. Yeah. The point, the Browns are actually a great example on a different level. If you do guys allow me to jump in here quickly. Uh, they, they finished 6-10 and 10 when Freddie Kitchens was the coach. And they had a lot of cap room before last season. They went out and they paid for, I heard of him, Deluxe in Austin Hooper. They paid for a, a fantastic tackle in Jack Conklin. They have Mayfield on a rookie contract, and they can do that, and they can improve that quickly, and that should give hope to guys like us. If you can have kind of middling plus quarterback play, as, you, as we said earlier, you can make a deep run the playoffs, and hell, they almost upset the Chiefs at Arrowhead, Scarty. Oh, exactly. Uh, it's, what the we've been we've been absolutely ruined with the success the Patriots have had. You've got to wonder what the Cleveland fans would be, you know, thrilled to death if uh, they managed to put together a uh, run like, say, the uh, 2007 or 2011 Giants put together. You don't need to have the best quarterback ever to to win a Super Bowl. You just need to be the best team, you know, three or four weeks in a, in a row is what it comes down to. And if they could do that, it, it's possible that something like that would uh, be acceptable to Cleveland, even if they, uh, even if they, you know, fall into, you know, a Jets-like uh, or, a, well, a Cleveland-like <laughs> 30 years of irrelevance kind of thing. But uh, it's 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 an interesting uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting um, experiment they've got going on there, and I'm glad that yep. they're doing it and not us. Yeah, Dan Dan made the point um, when we were talking previously, and I want you to see if you can kind of expound on this point a little bit, Dan. Um, you made a great point about that. There's just not a big sample size with championship quarterbacks because New England has kind of diluted that sale because Brady's been in there so often, but football is also a game of small sample sizes because the season is so short. How do you, how do you determine that? How do you know what risks to take? Uh, I think there is, there's more than, it's not just science. It's an art. Oh, absolutely. You and I have talked a lot about uh, the quarterbacks we've liked to identify. Obviously Brady's been in place. So it's not like there's ever been the worry about, okay, who's going to be the next guy, but uh, the archetype for me has been somebody that uh, Belichick had before in Testaverde. You know, here was this top, top, highly drafted quarterback who had right. had the bad experience, but then uh, redeemed his career in Cleveland, and then again with the Jets. 
and 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 before that um, with Jim Plunkett, where he had to move around to a couple different places, and he still was a guy with with a lot of throwing talent. Um, I've I always try to look for who's that redemption project going to be. Uh, Was it? All... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we have some mutual friends, Scott, that, that, that have a hard-on from Nick Foles, which makes me want to, you know, bang my head off the formica on my, on my desk. Uh, the Broncos are kind of where you don't want to be since Manning retired, right? They've had just a cavalcade of stiffs go there, through there, from Brock Wilder to, uh, to Trevor Simeon, Drew Locke's terrible, and the guy that I referenced earlier, Paxton Lynch. You have... I understand the theory about it's going to take somebody with stones who's, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to have to turn over that position uh, every four years, like you're a college for that sort of thing, but you don't have a quarterback. You can't win. And that's, that's kind of the thing in the NFL is it's, it's really, really difficult to win if you're not hitting your draft picks and you it, to, to load up on one side of the ball, you can have your outliers like the, the Bears a couple of years ago, the Bears with Trubisky, as a matter of fact, had a wonderful defense and they lost on the double doink game. Um, that was the year after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So I'm not going to blame the double doink for what happened in Super Bowl 52 that makes me do the Clavin shake. But they, they do have to get the quarterback right. And I think that they have the absolute ideal person. You know, the last 20 years notwithstanding, you know, in Bill, in Bill I trust, despite what the gaslighting media are trying to tell me, John. Yeah, and Bill, I trust absolutely. I'm happy to, I'm happy to bow at that altar. And you know, we we talked about Mayfield a moment ago. Second contract, Lamar Jackson uh, came up. Um, you know, second contract coming. I, I've seen you know a lot of people on Twitter have talked about you know you got to get Lamar Jackson some weapons. Well, you know, it's a lot harder to get your guy weapons when he's you know into that second contract and he's making maximum money. So. The, the regression to the mean, you know, the Patriots have defied gravity for 20 years. You know, gravity still exists, even though the Patriots were able to right. defy it. You know, it exists for us now, right? Gravity exists for us now. So you look at these kind of league sine waves, you hope to hit on a young quarterback. I think the formula um, is, and let me just say this, and I want to kind of a corollary on top of it. The formula is you hit on that young quarterback, you're able to assemble a really good roster and you have your run. And, and then it, that roster becomes older, more expensive, and you regress back to the mean. I will say this, the one person over my lifetime who's been best at being ahead of the, the conventional wisdom formula and kind of gone his own way and the league has followed is Bill Belichick, right? So whatever Bill Belichick is thinking right now, I've got a tremendous amount of faith in it. Why wouldn't we, right? And, and let me last say, uh, Dan's point on Testaverde and Plunkett. Plunkett's a guy that I've thought a lot about as well. There are these great reclamation projects out there. Um, I mean, Tannehill is a good recent example of it, you know, revitalizing his career in a good situation in Tennessee. So you mentioned Mariota at the very beginning, Dan. I'm on the Mariota, you know, kind of, you know, bandwagon for lack of a better word. I think he'd be a very good fit culturally with the Patriots from a talent perspective. He's young. Um, you know, I, I, I seem to remember, and I, I can't find the source, the Patriots liked him quite a bit coming out of college. You know, they were never going to get him. He went number two overall. But, you know, Mariota feels like that sort of, you know, the, the guy you take the chance on, right? There's, there's not a, you know, there's no Deshaun Watson out there for the taking, right? So, so what do you do? You take a guy like Mariota, do you, do you, you know, you probably make that move before the draft. 
um, because you can't wait that long to do anything. And then you, you look and see what, what the opportunity is in the draft. And Bill is an opportunist. You know, if, if, if a guy slides, he has a chance to move up, you, you figure he'll, he might do it. If, if it looks like someone like Mac Jones, who I also do like, is sliding back, if there's, if there's reason to believe he's sliding back, maybe the Patriots trade down and, and grab him. So I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't want, how, I don't how want, how can you not like what this team has done and be confident in what they're going to do? Oh, I am. Believe me, I am. And I think the, the, the Plunkett situation in Oakland is very much analogous to Mariota if he comes to the Patriots. When Plunkett went to the Raiders in the late 70s, he had, he had gotten the hell beat out of him with the Patriots, and he had washed out of San Francisco. San Francisco, the 49ers in the middle 70s, and I'm really dating myself here, they went all in. This is pre the, uh, the DeBartolo ownership. They went all in on the names. They got O.J. Simpson. They traded for two-time Heisman Trophy winner, or Plunkett won the Heisman, Simpson won the Heisman. They went with the names. They went the I, with the I heard of hims, and it, it didn't work out. They had to clean house. They, they, DeBartolo bought the team. They bought Bill Walsh. When Plunkett signed in Oakland, he was not the first plan. He was not the only one, and I don't want Mariota to be the only one. Dan Pastorini was somebody that they identified and traded for. They get Plunkett as they brought him in to kind of supplement that. Pastorini got hurt. Plunkett led the Raiders to the Super Bowl, went beating the Eagles in 1980. And yes, I'm dating myself. I want to move ahead a couple of, uh, to present day stuff now because your point is your point is great. If you had mediates building football teams today, like the the talk radio bobos and honks that listen to 98.5, you'd wind up with a team like Dallas. Dallas has all the weapons and all the names. They have Zeke Elliott. They drafted Ceedee Lamb in the first round. Dak Prescott, the, the names go on and on. Amari Cooper, they traded first-round yeah. picks for. Their defense couldn't stop a goddamn nosebleed last year. They they don't understand the how building depth helps. I mean, again, it's right in front of them. The template has been in front of them, but Jarrah's going to do Jarrah's thing, and you wind up with a fantasy football team, and now they, they're going to be – you can kick the can down the road all you want. And we just saw – Pittsburgh's doing that, as Scartsy mentioned earlier, with turning Cam Hayward's salary um, into a bonus so they can spread it over the length of the contract. We just went through it. Bill went, went on the record. Bill, he and I are tight. I can refer to Belichick and by his first name. Um, he went on the record that this year was kind of a – they went all in every year for Tom. And they did that with the benefit of hindsight. Say what you will about drafting Harry – Say what you will about drafting Michelle, and I will defend the Sony. I will die on the Sony Michelle Hill. You guys all know that. Antonio Brown coming in. Sanu for a second-round pick. They brought in Josh Gordon. and They tried to make it work, and the narrative that they didn't do anything to try to help Brady with his weapons is just entirely not true. Please, someone correct me if you disagree. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Completely agree. They're not the best color men in the league for nothing, folks. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you what do you say to that? You went through the entire list. I mean, uh, you forgot the fact that they gave up on Jacob Hollister too soon. I'll say that 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 kind of negates everything you just said. Yeah, Jacob Hollister's <laughs> in my face playing with the Seahawks every day. I almost felt like Battle Helm of Battle Hymn of the Republic should have been playing in the background when I went on that speech. And you know, Scarts is looking at him, don't the Germans the Germans in Pearl Harbor don't stop him. He's rolling. 
Uh, any other thoughts before we move on to some rapid fire for uh, our buddy Dan Scarzi? Oh, no other. I think we've uh, we've hit the high notes here that needed needed to needed to be said. And uh, you know, we're, again, we're we're strictly anti-gaslight around here. Yeah, this is, we do not gaslight. John, um, any closing thoughts before we get to everyone's favorite segment? Everyone's favorite segment. No, I mean, just kind of reiterating some of the same things very, very quickly, the, the belief in this organization. I mean, how can you not believe in this organization? The, the way they've constructed consistent winning is unlike what really any other franchise has been able to do. And by the way, I want to say one thing. You mentioned Plunkett. That 1980 Raiders season, uh, for folks who are, are in our demographic who are listening, that Raiders team started two and two with Pasquarini. He gets hurt in week five against the Chiefs. Plunkett comes in and throws five picks in that game. The Raiders lose. They fall to two and three, and then they go on this winning tear. So the, the, the idea that you can find that reclamation, I mean, Belichick is, if he's anything, he's a football historian, right? He has seen and lived all of these things. And as much as the game has changed, it's still got, I think that at its core, it's still the same game that, that he grew up in. He's looking for guys that are, you know, going to do the things necessary to win. Uh, you know, everything is geared to win in new England. Everything is about winning. It came up in the podcast, the Newton podcast, everything is geared to win the way they talk about the Patriot way. You can't help but listen to that. And I do highly recommend it and come away feeling like, man, I'm cheering for like the best organization in sports. And it's run by the most savvy dude in sports. So anyway, it's, I just, I don't get the way the media covers him. If he played more footsie with him, I'm sure it would be different coverage. Well, it's a thousand percent that it, and it, for guys of a certain age, again, in our, our age frame, right in front of us, we saw this play out for someone who spent his entire career with the Patriots. And he's, he's a saint in our household, John. Steve Grogan. Grogan was benched for Matt Cavanaugh in the late 70s. Uh, yeah, the late 70s and the early 80s. Cavanaugh stunk, by the way. They drafted Tony Eason in 83. Eason couldn't stay on the field. Grogan just persevered and persevered and persevered and kind of epitomized everything that I loved about football growing up. It, it, again, I'm biased, but uh, one of my favorite memories, non-1985 division, is closing down that godforsaken building in South Beach in Miami, the old Orange Bowl. The Patriots won the last NFL game played there when Grogan hit Stanley Morgan down the right sideline with, with less than a minute to go in that game. And that was a good, that was a good day. That was a good day. Uh, Dan, anything else before uh, we start firing inanity at you? More inanity at you. No, I think you've summed it up well. All right, well, that's that, that's a first for me. So um, I'm going to lead off the rapid fire section of this with some boilerplate questions uh, of mine. So are, I'm going to put 60 seconds on the non-existent clock. Dan, are you ready? I am. All right, this is the question that almost tore entitled town apart. Fribble or an awful, awful? Oh, awful, awful, all the way. That's the correct answer. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite non-Super Bowl game? of the Belichick-Brady run? It, it, I hate to go with such a recent one, but still that, that Casey uh, overtime game. Yeah, Dave has said um, that that was the most intense and best sporting event it, it, he's ever witnessed. He actually covered that game in Kansas City that day. Oh, what a uh, yeah, this, You know, it's funny. The, the, more, the more time that gets removed from that game, it's 
I, I think I suffer from anti-recency bias, but this is that's neither here nor there. This is rapid fire, allegedly. Uh, give me your top three Super Bowls wins uh, in descending or descending order. It's going to be a recency thing too. Um, well, fourteen. Oh, I'm sorry. You said descending order. <laughs> Whatever way you want is fine. Sure. Uh, uh, Forty-nine, um, fifty-one, and. 36. I'm glad you recognized 36 is on the list because everything sure. changed that day. Yep. Uh, what's, what's your favorite non Belichick Brady win? Say, say that again. The take out the Belichick, the favorite, uh, take out the Belichick years. So let's go, let's go before that. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying let's, Let's let's which which of these Tampa Bay Bucks games was my favorite? One? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's go old bastard here. What's your, what's your favorite the spot pa- there? Your favorite Patriots game, but before the Belichick era. You know that same Dolphins one. Yes, yeah. that that the AFC title how can, game. How can you beat that Dolphins? Yeah, squish the fish. Yeah, yeah, the squish the fish game is is certainly. Um, who anyone else have want to fire some stuff? Scarty, you got some stuff for Dan. Oh sure. I just uh, we need to set up. Uh, need to set up. What is it? Uh, the uh, old uh, old Foxborough Stadium or the old Boston Garden? Uh, the Garden. Is it because of there? There were no, you know, freezing cold aluminum benches. <laughs> yes, exactly. I I, I did. I did entertain a few frozen frozen butt games. Yeah, we didn't. None of us were sitting in those fancy seat backs between the forties right. of the old place. I don't think we want to discuss the old troughs at Fenway Park. I, 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 they, the last time I was at Fenway Park was about seven or eight years ago. Um, Dan, what are the teams do you follow closely locally? My locally. Uh, I'm in Boston. In Boston, we're we're all we're all New England kids at heart. So sure. Well, grew up watching the Celtics. That that was it. That was the. I was a Celtics fan before I was uh, became a big Patriots fan, and part of it was uh, I, I started watching them just as Bird came in came to town. So lucky lucky me. Yeah, same for me. The the first year I really got into sports was. Uh, the 1981 Celtics and the comeback against Philadelphia. Uh, John, do you have anything for our buddy Dan? Oh, yes. I've got a few for him. All right. Fire one ready. The uh, rank the Patriots defensive coordinators in the Belichick era. Well, let's start with uh, Romeo. I'm going to miss some. Well, Um, let's go with the big, let's go with the big three and a half. We'll go with Romeo, Patricia, Pease, and I'm getting Flores on the list. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll put I'll, I'll start with Romeo and then Flores uh, I can't put peas in the top three <laughs> there's no way so you're getting Patricia the bronze medal I'm giving Patricia the bronze medal also for how much he triggers mediates that's why I like yes yeah, yeah that's I, worthwhile I'm, right I'm, there he's he's for the for the shirt he's like for the shirt points for the for the, yeah, the good Dell clown shirt yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll always be pro Matt Patricia for for both of those reasons. And of course, you know, the the way the team played while he was here was pretty damn good too. All right. I'm gonna take you 
bad, bad memory lane. Mike got to ask you all the nice, you know, positive win questions. If you could take back one agonizing drop, which drop would it be? Asante, Asante. Samuel, Asante. West <laughs> Welker, or Rache Caldwell? Yeah, Asante. Asante, 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 who's who's been putting his foot in his own mouth ever since he dropped that ball ever since. But that's another subject for another time. The other Under ones don't assure anything. The the Asante one, that's the game. That's the ball game. That's the, uh, that's perfection. I, I might disagree. I, I, I'm not saying I disagree with the answer, but the Rache Caldwell catch ends that game, and then they beat up on the Rex Grossman Bears in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I mean that that was a that was a tough that that loss. I, I think we've maybe we've all kind of blocked that loss out. That was there a, were ten was AFC the, teams that would have won the Super Bowl if they'd gotten yeah, to, to play so, the Bears. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take the over. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, how can we be disrespecting the Fribble when the the founder of Friendlies just passed away within the last week or so? I've got to go. I'm sticking by my Fribble. I don't know about this awful awful stuff. So. What's the matter with know. you? Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. Fribbles and watermelon rolls were like the staple of birthdays when I was a kid. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Awful, awful. I don't remember an awful, awful ever, Mike. What are you talking about? That's why I always wanted Carvel when you're eating that garbage you're eating from that, Friendly's. Uh, fudgy the whale. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, Fudgy the whale. Yeah. All right. Well, since we're going down memory lane, Dan, three of us, unlike Scarcy, do not live in Boston anymore. As a Patriots fan and a Boston fan living outside the Metro, uh, the Commonwealth itself, uh, far away for all of us, actually, the best and the worst things about living outside of Boston as a, as a, as a Patriots and a Boston fan. Well, the best part is it gives you such a, a, a unique vantage point. You know, you, Boston, Boston radio, radio, Boston media is like on a, any other place. And if, if Bill Belichick were a coach in any other town, he would be a god. Uh, so it, it's, it's a strange thing to live in a dip, uh, away from New England and see the way that they're treated, see the way that actually all the, all the teams are treated. It's like they're, they're still caught up in pre-2004 uh, Red Sox Loserville and just want to stay there or, or that it's uh, somehow it pays to uh, somebody's paying a lot of money just to uh, rag on all the teams, on the local teams. You don't see that any other place. Not even New York. New York's a bunch of underrated fanboys, in my opinion. All of those media guys. Yeah, I totally agree with your points. As living on the West Coast as long as I have, and now Mike's out here too. It's, you know, the, the reverence that they have out here. I mean, there, I, I swear to God, Bay Area media will die on the Joe Montana is the goat hill. I mean, they refuse to give up the ghost on this. They are so still in love with the era of 49er football that if you're, if you're our age, you know, you grew up with that era out here. And, you know, actually, I get to have very fun conversations with 49er fans about the era we experienced. And they talk about the era they experienced. And it's like, you know, we it's not normal you know when you when you have it and you've you know maybe maybe we're on the tail end maybe it's over right for them it's certainly over you know they revere that era they've got the best memories of it in fact they they struggle with the idea that they'll ever have anything as good again when it comes to being a football fan and they probably won't so for the way the media has gaslit the fans over the last 20 years almost wistfully hoping for the end of this era you know years before it ended is 
is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting the way they've treated the, the fans in the region. And, and for the fans that have fallen for it, I, I feel nothing but pity for them. No, it's a, th it's a thousand percent correct. And Scarcy and I have made this point time and again. It's like these, these, these guys in media in Boston, they're under the delusion that it's about them. When, and when in actuality, they're rooting for their own demise. And that's, that's the plain as I can put it. You want the teams to be irrelevant? Do you think they're tuning into Rich Keith and Adam Jones because of their brilliance on the medium? No, they're not. People are into it because they love the teams. They love watching great athletes. Um, the teams always have a great plan. You know, say what you will about Brad Stevens. They've been to the, the Celtics have been to the Eastern Conference Finals three times in the last four years. And I'm as frustrated as anyone with how they're playing this year. And there's a myriad of reasons that we don't need to get into for that. And, and I'm stepping all over John and Dan here. Just it's, again, I guess I'm, I'm allowing John to gaslight me <laughs> by pointing out empirical truths in media. Well, hey, John, you got anything else? I, I'm, no, Go I'm good, Dan. Thanks for, thanks for those. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Scartsy, Scartsy, um, you have, you have a column coming this week for the new website, the15net.com. Will you be penning a sports be, junk drawer? There will be a cleaning out of the sports junk drawer. There's been, you know, one of those every week, mostly, for the past uh, year or so. So we, longer than that, even. Just uh, we've, uh, we've uh, shifted, shifted over to the, uh, the 15net.com. And uh, that, that's where you'll find us. And uh, there could be some interesting things coming, uh, coming in the near future there. So... Great. Yeah, stay tuned is the proverbial is the mm -hmm. thing to say there. Uh, John can be found at uh, that John Irons. Patrick, you can be found at at Pat Scartell. Uh, Dan is at uh, Patriots Daily. Dan, thank you very, very much for joining us and allowing us to go through our inanities. Um, and I guess that I guess that's all we have. What are we on to uh, posting this podcast as soon as possible, gentlemen? What do you think? Sounds plan like. Did you did you record right, it, Mike? Did you record it this time? Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, Entitledtown at gmail.com is the email address. You guys all know uh, the Twitter account. And before I go, let me remind you one last time: turn off your radio. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team.